Have you ever prayed and wondered, I wonder if God heard me? Or have you been in a situation where you wanted something so badly that you prayed about it and you thought, how can I get God to respond to this? Or have you ever prayed and it felt like your prayer went unanswered, so you said, is God even there? Is God just silent? Did you know that most of us pray? Surveys indicate that over and over again. Over 80% of Americans say that they pray at least once a week, and over half say they pray every day. And yet, most of us would also say that perhaps we feel some frustration with prayer. Um, it could be confusing for us. Uh, maybe we feel like we don't pray enough. Maybe our mind wanders when we try to pray. But maybe we just feel like we don't know if our prayers are being heard. There was a guy who was stranded on a deserted island, and he didn't know if anybody was ever going to rescue him. And later, when he was recounting the events to a group of people, he told them, he said, I prayed over and over every day that God would send someone to rescue me. And someone interrupted him and said, well, how did that happen? Obviously, God sent someone to rescue you. And he said, well, no, before God had a chance, a boat came along and picked me up. <laughs> now, there are a lot of misconceptions about prayer, aren't there? Well, I want to go ahead and give you a bottom line right from the beginning, um, kind of a main idea, because I think for you to know this will help you as we go along this morning. And the bottom line is this, my view of God determines how I pray. What I think about God determines how I pray, it determines if I pray, it determines when I pray, it determines why I pray. Um, we're in a series right now that we're calling Takeaway. The reason we're calling it that is because we're looking at some of the parables or stories that Jesus taught. All of those stories had a takeaway to them. Every time Jesus taught a story or a parable, he had a takeaway. In other words, a parable is just kind of a story with a point. You can always look for the insight or the moral of the story or what lesson Jesus was trying to teach us. And those parables always had a takeaway related, related either to God or to heaven. And when Jesus taught, people loved to listen to him teach. He was so engaging when he taught. One thing he often did when he would teach in parables or stories is he would interject some humor into his stories. Now, because the culture has changed and all, we often don't pick up on that humor. Kind of like my sermons a little bit. But when Jesus taught with parables, People would smile. You could hear them laugh because there was humor. And today's story has some, of that, uh, has some of that humor in it, and we'll show you that as we go. Now, there are two kinds of parables that Jesus would use, contrasting parables and comparing parables. A comparing parable is just one where he would compare God or heaven to something or someone so, for example, with the prodigal son, he wanted to teach what God the Father is like. So he compared him to the father of the prodigal son. Today's parable is a contrasting parable. He's going to show us through this story, he's going to say, my father is not at all like this. 
So it, there, there was a difference between comparing and contrasting. In fact, he's going to say, um, my father's not at all like this, and talk about it in terms of heaven and in terms of God. If you don't understand that, then you can even misunderstand the point of the parable. So what I want to do, I'll read it to you first. It's Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And let me give you the takeaway again so that you see this story in that context. And the takeaway or the bottom line of this uh, sermon is this. My view of God determines how I pray. Now listen to this story that Jesus told. This is Luke 18. All, all of our, from the series, all of will come from the book of Luke. I'll start reading in verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even if he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Now, many times you read in the Bible that it tells you to be persistent with your prayer. The Bible says, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Pray continually. So here's a question for you. You should only have to ask God for something once, right? I mean, why should you have to keep going back and say it over and over and over again? We don't like it when people ask us something over and over and over again, do we? You know, if you're a parent, you've experienced that maybe with your children where they just keep coming to you and bugging you and badgering you and pestering you about something. Um, say it's an hour before supper and a little boy goes to his mom and he says, Mom, can I have a cookie? And she says, no, we're going to eat in an hour. 20 minutes later, he comes back to his mom. And he says, mom, can I have a cookie? And she says, no, I already told you once, we're going to eat now in 40 minutes, so no, you can't have a cookie before supper. 10 minutes later, he comes to mom. And he says, mom, can I have a cookie? This time, there's a little edge to mom's tone. And mom says, what part of no did you not understand the other two times? Five minutes later, the little boy comes up to mom and says, mom, can I have a cookie? This time we all run for cover because we know what's about to happen, right? Mom says, if you ask me for a cookie one more time, you'll never have a cookie as long as you live. We don't like to be bugged badgered and pestered. We don't like someone to ask us something over and over and over again, do we? So why would God want us to just keep going to him over and over again? I mean, why should we do that? Well, we shouldn't do it for that reason. There's something else going on here. And 
God wants us to show our faith in him. Now, I want to go back to verse 1, what we just read, and um, start there. And it says this. It says that Jesus told him this parable to teach people to always pray and to never give up. I don't know about you, but I was always taught to always avoid using the word always, and I was taught to never use the word never. Was that true for you? The reason is because when you use always and never, they're rarely accurate, are they? Show me a marriage where there's conflict, and I'll show you people who are using the words always and never. You always go out and buy stuff and don't ask me first. You never try to understand my feelings. So why would Jesus use the words always and never to teach us about prayer? He's trying to make a point. Always and never are used to be emphatic because he's going to show us what kind of God we have. Now, on the one hand, the story tells us about a judge, an unjust judge, a harsh, a cold-hearted, mean, cruel judge. <laughs> he said, his own words were, he didn't care about God, and he did not care about people. He represented power and authority. Then there was the widow. She represented the most helpless person in that culture, in that society. She had no legal recourse whatsoever. So over here, on the, if we were going to paint this on a continuum or put this on a continuum, we have this cruel, cold-hearted, unjust judge with all the power and authority in the world. Clear on the other side of the continuum, way over here on the other side is this widow who had no power, no legal recourse. She was helpless. And I think Jesus painted a picture of the two extremes because he wanted to make a point. You know, this poor widow, her only legal recourse would be if she had a husband, which we know she didn't, or if she had a lot of money, which clearly she didn't either. So what was she supposed to do, helpless and hopeless? She thinks to herself, since I have no other options, I'm going to go and I'm going to bug and I'm going to badger and I am going to pester this judge until either he gives me what I want or he throws me in jail, but I have nothing to lose. Now, we don't know what the dispute with her enemy was all about, and apparently that wasn't important because Jesus didn't emphasize it when he told us the story. But here's what we do know. She probably, a widow in this culture, probably had no income. She may have had almost no food. She was probably at risk of losing her home if she hadn't already, and she probably had some kids that she cared about. And the only thing more desperate than a desperate widow is a desperate mom, right? I mean, there's something about a mom that has an instinct to guard or protect her children at all costs. So she goes to the judge with that in mind. Um, many years ago when one of my sons was playing football at Columbus East, he was playing in a game against New Albany. And according to Columbus East, New Albany had a reputation of being very intense to the point of being dirty. And so it was an intense game. And I went to the game. It was an away game. It was at New Albany. And um, just to show you the intensity of it, I think my son, 
The hardest hit he ever took in football was during the New Albany game. It lit him up. I saw it on the video later, and it was hard. It, it literally broke a bone in his wrist. Um, it broke his helmet. That's how hard it hit him. It was really an intense game. He would probably want me to tell you that he continued to play on in the game. But it was really an intense game. So into that context, I sat down in the stands... Now, for whatever reason, New Albany didn't have home and visitor stands. They didn't have home stands on one side and visitor stands on the other side. Instead, all the stands were on the same side of the field. It was a big stand, but all on the same side of the field. But they had a designated home section, and then they had a designated visitor section. And the only thing that separated the home and visitor section was the middle aisle, you know, with stairs that would go up and down the stands. I went in and naively decided to sit in the visitor section, the Columbus East section, right in the middle, so that to my right was New Albany, and to my left were the East fans. Quick spoiler alert, don't do that, all right? <laughs> the game started, and it was as intense as it was being described. Um, they, you know, very intense, and the guys were playing hard. The fans were just as intense. There was a new Albany mom, she was over to my right, a little bit over here, who was very intense and very vocal. And for whatever reason, there was one particular player on East that she thought she would um, kind of give some instructions to, not positive stuff. His name was John. She kept yelling at John. To my left was John's mom. So as she continued to yell at John, the new Albany mom, I could sense that John's mom was getting a little bit angrier every time she yelled. The situation was escalating. Finally, one time, the New Albany mom yelled something at John. The East mom, John's mom, stood up, turned towards her, faced her, and began yelling at her and pointing her finger at her, and I was thinking, this is not good. I was planning my exit strategy. That is the truth. I thought they were going to come to blows. Long story short, some East fans, some New Albany fans stepped in and wisely calmed them down, diffused the situation, I think separated them, got them at different ends of the grandstands, and so on. But here's the takeaway to my little parable. It's this. Never mess with an angry mom. <laughs> always run in situations like that. And yes, I used always and never intentionally in that situation. Now, having said that, imagine this widow with that same kind of intensity. Okay, we have not only a desperate widow, we have a desperate mom. And so I love the way Jesus told stories because he had people on the edge of their seats. They were totally engaged. They were completely captivated by what he was saying. And he was making them laugh. Let me go back and read to you um, Luke 18 again, verses four and five. See if you can pick up the humor of this. He says, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. So we love a good underdog story, don't we? This is certainly one of them. David and Goliath from the Bible. Think of the movies that are underdog stories. The plots, so many of them are that way. 
Hoosiers, Rudy, Rocky, Miracle, Braveheart, Patriot, Seabiscuit, Cool Runnies, Karate Kid, Shawshank Redemption, Moneyball, Hunger Games, Creed, all the Star Wars movies. You get the point, right? This widow in the parable puts a little child asking for a cookie to shame with her underlying persistence. Now, it's possible to annoy someone to the point where they'll either say, enough, or they just acquiesce and give in, right? Do you have something that annoys you? When one of my sons was younger and we were on a trip, if he finished a bottle of water, he would sit in the back of the van and play with the empty bottle of water. Do you know what an empty bottle of water sounds like when a kid's playing with it? I thought I'd show you. Listen. That's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. And so I would say to him, please quit doing that. A few minutes later, you'd hear it again. Until finally about the fourth time, I'd say, stop that, you're driving me crazy. Same kind of reaction from the judge. So is that what Jesus is telling us to do? What's the point of the parable as it relates to prayer? Shameless persistence. If you are shamelessly persistent with God, you'll get what you want. If you bug God long enough, if you annoy Him, if you don't let up, then finally God the Father will say, all right already, I'll give you what I want. You're, you're, you're driving me crazy. No, that's not the point of the parable at all, is it? In fact, Jesus is teaching us that God the Father is the exact opposite of that. Jesus is arguing that if you can use shameless persistence on someone who is harsh and doesn't want to be bothered, how much more do you think you'll have the attention of a God who loves you and delights in answering your requests? So back to Luke 18. Here are verses 6 through 8. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. That's the takeaway. God wants you to come to him with your prayers. God delights in it when you pray to him. God wants to grant your request. He's the complete opposite of this uncaring, unjust, cruel, cold-hearted, mean judge. Because God is the kind of God who wants to hear from you. That's what Jesus is saying. So see, your view of God determines how you pray. Now back to one of our original questions. Why can't you just ask God once? I mean, if parents don't want us to keep asking them over and over and over again, why does God want us to do that? And why does the Bible tell us to pray persistently, to not give up? The secret lies at the end of verse 8 with what Jesus says. Here's what it says. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? It's not about badgering our Heavenly Father to get what we want. It's about us. 
It's about us showing our faith. It's about us staying in a relationship with God. It's about what can happen inside of us when we pray because it shows that we're dependent on God. A praying Christian is a dependent Christian, and a praying Christian is a growing Christian. Now, this may raise some questions in your mind. You may be thinking, well, if God delights in me praying to him and wants to answer my request, then why is it that sometimes I don't feel like he hears me or answers me when I pray? And why don't I get the answers to my prayer requests when I pray something? I've heard it explained this way, and this may be a bit of an oversimplification, but it's really helped me. It's helped me remember it. It's helped me understand how God answers prayer. So let me um, respond in this way. Let me say that God can give you four ways in which he answers our prayers. Okay? The answer can either be no, grow, slow, or go. Sometimes he says no. Now no is still an answer, isn't it? It may just not be the one we want. Sometimes he says, grow. In other words, I want to do something inside of you first. I want you to grow. So answering it the way you want me to answer it might not be best for you until you've had an opportunity to grow. Sometimes God says, slow. In other words, the timing isn't right. Now we hate to be told to wait, right? But looking back, God's timing has always been better than my timing. Now the ones we love are when he says go. In other words, we pray and we get the answer we're looking for and we get it soon. Those are the fun ones, right? But when you go to God with a submissive heart, willing to trust him for the answer, even if it's different than what your desire is, that changes everything with regard to your prayer life. When Jesus prayed to God the Father the night before he died, he actually asked in his prayer the Father if he, would ste- if he could step away from the horrific suffering that he was about to endure. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus was showing his humanness. But Jesus concluded that prayer by saying, I don't want my will, Father. I want yours. God the Father said no to that request. Did you get that? Even Jesus received a no answer from his Father. However, undergirding all this is the realization that God loves me, that he cares about me, that he wants what's best for me. So he does answer. So when he does answer, it may not be the answer I'm looking for because he is God and he has a much bigger perspective that I don't have. But I can always trust in that. So even when I don't understand, I know what kind of God I have because you see, my view of God determines how I pray. And aren't you grateful that Jesus was willing to go to the cross because God had the big, God the Father had the big perspective. Many of you who attend here at the Ridge 
may not know the stories about what God did to bring us to where we are as a church. One of those stories, we had a capital campaign in 2009 to raise the funds to build this new money. And it excuse me, to build this new building. And it wasn't about money at the time. It wasn't about bigger buildings. It wasn't about being a big church. It was about helping us accomplish our vision to do whatever it takes to point people to Jesus. And it was a huge undertaking. Um, we needed, we, want, we, needed, we need, wanted more room for, the, for a facility. And we also wanted a facility that would be in alignment with the kind of church we were. So we talked with church consultants. We met with church leaders. And we decided our goal would be $2 million in commitments to build this building. And then in addition to that, we were going to sell our current facility where we were then and use that money to help also pay for the new building. And I knew that was going to stretch us. I knew that was a big prayer. But I began to pray that. And I don't recall ever praying this publicly. But I remember specifically when I would pray privately, I would say, God, our request is that you would help us raise $2 million. Like I said, I didn't use that number publicly at all. This, some of the staff will remember when I would pray with our staff, I would say, God, help us raise $2 million. When the campaign concluded, we totaled the commitments, and it was $1.82 million, which was a great response. It was just under $2 million. And I remember thinking at the time, so why stop now? So for the next year or so, while we continued to make plans to build our new buildings, when I prayed, I kept saying to God, God, thanks so much for providing what you have through the commitments. I'm still wanting to pray that you would provide the $2 million for our new church. Months after the campaign ended, someone miraculously and unexpectedly without solicitation donated $100,000. That put us at $1.92 million. (laughs) Then almost two years after the campaign ended, but before we had built the new building, there were people who were new to the Ridge who said, we want to be a part of what God is doing as well. And they committed another $128,000. Guess what? If you do the math, we had now gone over $2 million. And I remember the day when I realized Wow, God, you answered that prayer. It was in his timing and in his way, but he did it. And one thing I've discovered, God's timing and God's way is always better than my way. Now, if you're thinking, well, then why didn't you pray for $3 million, Jerry? (laughs) Yeah, I've kind of wondered the same thing there. Well, your view of God determines how you pray. And it's so cool to pray to a God who you know has your best interest at heart, who delights in answering you, who will answer not according to my will, but will pray according to his will. Did God say no to that prayer we were praying? Well, actually, initially he did. If you go back two years before 2009 when we started our capital campaign in the year 2007, we were thinking about starting a capital campaign then. But through a set of circumstances, we said We don't think this is right. And God said, no, this is not the right timing. So he said, no. Did God say slow? Absolutely. Because we ended up raising the funds in his timing and in his way. It was actually two years after that initial campaign before we met that goal that we were praying about. Did God say grow? 
Yes, we learn throughout those months and years to trust, to wait, that God's timing was best. Did God say go? Eventually he did. So pray. God loves it when you do. Not to manipulate him or to get what you want because of what it will do in you and through you. Keep on praying because God wants to hear from you and wants to grow your faith. And if there's any doubt about how much God loves you or what kind of God you have, just look to the cross where you can see Jesus. He loved us so much that he was willing to take our sin on himself by dying for us. God the Father did that so that when Jesus died, he died to pay for our sins and could offer us forgiveness of sins and offer us a new life in him. And if you've never taken that step to put your faith in Jesus, to accept what he's done for you, to surrender your life to him, let me encourage you to do that. You can do that even today. You can even do that while I close this in prayer.